0: And I get questions from you people all over the world, and I do read the the the, the letters you write to me personally, and also I read the uh, the emails and the comments on the messages. And not too far long ago, I had a a comment. I was talking about church history, talking about the Catholic Church, and uh, we're going to put this chart up here now, because we're talking about church history, right over here, it's nice to have these uh, tools to work with, these charts, I learned to use them in the seminary, now, we're over here in America in the 1817 and 1800s where we stopped for. But sometimes we have to go back and review. And right now we're going to go way back over here into the second, third, and fourth centuries. And we're going to read something that Mr. Philip Schaff wrote. And this is in his book. Now there's Antinician, Nicene, and Post-Nicene fathers up there. But this is a history of the Christian Church by, uh, and it's anti-Nicene. This before the Council of Nice in 325 A.D. Between 100 and 325 A.D. And we're on page 152. And I want to read something to you. Now, the these old books that were printed so many years ago by Philip Shaft and whatever, they expected you, if you were reading their book, they expected you to be multilingual. And uh, the language that they used was Greek and Hebrew and Latin. And so they wanted you to be able to do that because they would write it in those languages so many times. If you go into over here, we have Kyle and Deleach. Ten volumes of commentary on the Old Testament. You must be able to read Greek and Hebrew and German and Latin to get everything out of that. Now, when I graduated from the seminary, I had earned two doctorates, Doctor of Bible languages and a PhD. I went to the seminary for twelve years. Long time. I taught a lot of that time. I had to teach for for at least four years before they'd give me a degree. I had my associate, bachelor's, master's degree, but for the doctorate you had to teach also two or three or sometimes five years in some seminaries. I had to uh, have at least five years of Greek and five years of Hebrew. I had six years of Hebrew and nine years of Greek in the seminary. Now as I, after I graduated from the seminary, Dr. Carl Farrar told me, and Brother Hubbard told me that, H.T. Hubbard, they said, Brother Phillips, you just now got the, got the ability to learn. You haven't learned it, now you can learn. When you learn those languages, when you have a foundation that you can go on now then you can learn. This is a necessity a hundred years ago. When I was going to the seminary over 50 years ago, it was a necessity that you had to learn the Bible languages. The Bible is inspired in Greek and Hebrew, in Aramaic and places in the Old Testament, Chaldee. And uh, you had to do that because you had to know. Dr. John A. Broadus, a great theologian, a great language master, he said that if a pastor would not study the languages and before he got up and preached any, any verse of the Bible, if he didn't look at it in the original languages first to find out what was really there, he wasn't worthy to stand in that pulpit. That's what Dr. John A. Broadus said. John A. Broadus was at Dr. A.T. Robertson's father-in-law. Most of the writings that, doctor, that are attributed to Dr. A.T. Robertson are actually from John A. Broadus. These are two great men of God. Language masters. They are my fathers and grandfathers in the faith, you might say. Now, On page 152, we're gonna go back, I had a person say to me, they sent me an email and they quoted all of the popes all the way back to Peter. I had said that the papal uh, ascension was a lie and it is a lie still. You can write anything down on a piece of paper whether it's the truth or not. If you don't believe that, just look what's happening in America today. This is a mess. It is a mess. They muddy the waters so much you don't know what the truth is. Now, the Bible languages will help you weed that out. Church history will help you weed that out. The title of these messages are Why I Am a Baptist. Why I Am a Baptist. and I'm not a Catholic. I'm not a Methodist. Maryland was a Methodist basically when we got married, wasn't you, Marilyn? Mm-hmm. That it didn't after you studied a few church history classes, you knew what you needed to be. You needed to be a Baptist. You knew that your sprinkling in the Methodist church meant nothing, and that being sprinkled as a baby meant nothing. And you had a what we call believers' baptism. Now I want to read this to you what Dr. Philip Schaff says here. On page 152 and we're going to read on for a few pages. The beginnings of metropolitan and patriarchal systems. There are only two offices in a church, pastor and deacon, that's all. There are, each church is an individual church, it is autonomous, it answers to no other church at all. It only answers to to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Now, <clears throat> through though the bishops were equal in their dignity and powers as successors of the apostles, bishop is episkopos and that is a pastor. That's a pastor of a church. I'm a pastor. I'm a bishop of Discover the Word Missionary Baptist Church. I'm equal to anybody else anywhere, as far as the Bible teaches. Though the bishops were equal in their dignity and powers and successors of the apostles, they gradually fell into different ranks. According to the ecclesiastical and political importance of their several districts, this shouldn't be. There are no big churches and no little churches. Just because there's five or 10,000 people in church doesn't mean that it is more important than somebody, a church that has 100 people in it, or 50, or 3, or 2 or 3 gathered together in my authority. And that's talking about a church now. It's not talking about people out running around. It's talking about a church, church capacity. I know people always try to attribute that to themselves when they're meeting with other Christian people. It is not attributed to Christians except in a church capacity. On the lowest level stood the bishops of the country churches. The Coriospice, who, though not mentioned before, the beginning of the 4th century, okay, 4th century is the 300s now, here we go. Remember here, we're going to, go, well, this is up to 325 A.D., this book, this, Book, this volume, probably originated as in an earlier period. They stood between the presbyters and the city bishops and met the wants of the episcopal supervision in the villages of large dioceses in Asia Minor, in Syria, also in Gaul. Among the city bishops and metropolitans rose above the rest, the big shops, the mega churches, okay? That is the bishops of capital cities of the provinces. They presided in the provincial synods and primer inter paris, ordained the bishops of the province. Now these turt went into Latin, okay? The metropolitan system appears from the Council of Nice three hundred and twenty-five AD onward. Before three hundred and twenty-five AD, before the Council of Nicaea. There was no such thing. There was no such thing as a pope. There was no Catholic Church before before 325 A.D. Constantine started, developed, and basically founded the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church didn't exist beyond 325 A.D who had been already in operation at the time of Constantine and Eusebius and was afterwards more fully carried out in the east. In North Africa, the oldest bishop, hence called a synax, stood as primus. That means number one. At the head of his promise, but the bishop of Carthage enjoyed the highest consideration and could summon general councils. Now churches from the time of the apostles had associations, and they met as associations, they sent out missionaries' associations, they contributed to associations to for the betterment of the gospel and Christian welfare. Still older and more important is the distinction of apostolic mother churches, such as those at Jerusalem, Antioch, Alexandria, Ephesus, Corinth, and Rome. In the time of Irenaeus and Tertullian They were held in the highest regard as the chief bearers of pure church tradition. Among these, Antioch and Alexandria and Rome were most important because they were the capitals, respectively, of these three divisions, eparche, of the Roman Empire. Centers of trade, intercourse, combining with their apostolic origin, the greatest political weight to the Bishop of Antioch fell all of Syria. This isn't biblical. This is not biblical. Okay? But this is what became tradition. This is what people started practicing. It didn't come from the Bible. All Syria and his metropolitan districts, to the Bishop of Alexandria, all of Egypt. And then the Bishop of Rome Central and lower Italy without definite boundaries. Here we have the germs of a eparchal or patriarchal system, the germs of it, the beginning of it, to which the Greek church to this day adheres. The name patriarch was at first, particularly in the East, the honorary title of all bishops, was not till the 4th century, exclusively now the 4th century, that's in the 300s, okay, appropriated to the bishops of the three ecclesiastical and political capitals of the Roman Empire. Antioch, Alexandria, now the church and the state had been married now. The Catholic Church now starts. Things begin to change the hierarchy of system in the church begins to change because they want control over other churches. There is no control, one church does not control another church, that's anti-biblical. The Roman Empire, Antioch, Alexandria, and Rome, and also the Bishop of Jerusalem, Honoris Causia. And the Bishop of Constantine, or new Rome. Remember the, the Catholic Church, Constantine moved it from Rome The seat to Constantinople, or it was named after him, Constantinople, or the New Rome. So in the West, the term Papa, Papa, Pope, afterwards uh, appropriated by the Roman bishop, Summus Pontifex, Pontifex Maximus, Vicarius Christi, was current for a long time in a general and more general application. Germs of the Papacy. There's a whole page here. Germs of Papacy. Papacy does not go back to Peter. Papacy does not go back to Peter. It goes back to the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church had nothing to do with Peter. Peter wouldn't have had anything to do with the Catholic Church, period. Uh, Some of the writers here talks about all of the writers uh, that write on this subject. Among the great bishops of Antioch, Alexandria and Rome, the Roman bishop combined all the conditions for a primacy, which from a purely honorary distinction gradually became the basis of the supremacy of jurisdiction. You practice something for a while and all of a sudden it becomes doctrine and dogma. The same propension to monarchical unity which created out of the Episcopate a center first for each congregation and then for the whole diocese and pressed on towards the visible center of the whole church. Now remember the Catholic church means universal. Constantine founded the universal church, the Catholic church, and it became church and state. This isn't the church that Jesus founded. Period not the church that Jesus founded. Primacy and episcopacy grew together. In the present period, we already find the faint beginnings of the papacy in both its good and its evil features. And with them, too, the first examples of earnest protest against the abuse of its power. The abuse of power. We see that in America today. We see the abuse of power in the Department of Judges, in the CIA, the FBI, we saw this. We saw it beginning in LBJ's time. We saw it then. And in the Nicene Age, the Bishop of Jerusalem was made an honorary patriarch in view of the antiquity of that church, Jerusalem. An honorary patriarch, an honorary head. Patriarch means head. It means first father, first father. The patriarchs were Noah, Abraham, Moses, etc. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons were patriarchs. But now the church adopts Judaism in many of its ways. Though Asiasos was limited from the middle of the 4th century to the new patriarch of or Rome. Now, just remember now, there were synagogues in all the cities all over the world, wherever the Jews went. But the main temple was in Jerusalem. Do you understand what the, 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 the Catholic Church is adopting here? What they're adopting? The Church was a visible, local, democratic body of believers joined together to carry out the gospel and to baptize and preach. That's what a church is. New Rome, Constantinople, or New Rome, arose to the primacy among this Eastern patriarch and became formidable rival of the Bishop of Old Rome. The Roman church claims not only human but divine right for the papacy and traces the institutional directly to Christ when he assigned to Peter an eminent position in the work of founding his church. He did not. That's a lie. Jesus said, You are, Peter, a little rock, but upon this gigantic foundation stone I'll be building my church, and the gates of hell shall not wrestle her down, and it sure has tried. Against which even the gates of hell shall not prevail. This claim implies several assumptions that peter by our lord's appointment had not only had not simply a primacy or personal excellence of honor and dignity which must be conceded to him but also a supremacy of jurisdiction over the other apostles which is contradicted by that fact with peter and paul peter himself never claimed it and that paul maintained a position of perfect independence and even openly rebuked him at Antioch in Galatians 2 and verse 11 that the privileges of his this primacy and supremacy are not personal only as the particular gifts of Paul or John undoubtedly were, but official hereditary and transferable. That they were actually transferred by Peter not upon the bishop of Jerusalem or Antioch, where Peter certainly was, but upon the bishop of Rome. This is all fairy tales. Fairy tales. That Peter was not only at Rome, which is very probable after 63 AD, though not as certain as Paul's presence and martyrdom in Rome, but acted there as a bishop till his martyrdom and appointed a successor of which there is not the slightest historical evidence. He did not appoint a pope after him. That's fairy tales. No historical evidence at all. The Catholic churches, all the popes, not all this, and we'll try to try, go all the way back to Peter, is fallacy. It is a fairy tale. And five, that the bishops of Rome, as successor of Peter, have always enjoyed and exercised the universal jurisdiction over the Christian church, which is not the case, as a matter of fact, and still less as a matter of conceded right. Fairy tales. The fairy tales of, pap- of the papacy. The fairy tale of the papacy. Leaving a full discussion of most of these points to a polemical theology. We're here concerned with the papacy as a growth of history. It was a growth, it didn't happen with Peter, it happened with Constantine and not even with Constantine, the first pope was actually over here, way over here, the pope. Finally, popery here in 500s, Leo II established. That's a long time. And we have to examine the causes which gradually raised it to its towering eminence among the governing institutions of the world. Every king had to go get permission to get married. They had to go to the Pope. The historical influences which favored the ascendancy of the Roman See were, the Roman See is the Pope, the high antiquity of the Church of Rome, which had been honored even by Paul with the most important doctrinal epistle in the New Testament, the Book of Romans. It was properly the only apostolic mother church in the West and was thus looked upon from the first day by the churches of Italy, Gaul, and Spain by peculiar reverence. The labors of the martyrs, martyrdom, the burial of, of Rome of Peter and Paul and two leading apostles. The whole Roman congregation passed through the fearful ordeal of martyrdom during the Neronian, the Nero, the reign of Nero. Neronian persecution but must soon afterwards have been reorganized with a halo of glory arising from the graves of the victims. The political preeminence of the metropolis of the world which was destined to rule the European races with a scepter of the cross as she had formerly ruled them with a sword. The cross was a sword, too, people. The execution of wisdom and the Catholic Orthodox instinct of the Roman Church, which made themselves felt in this period of three controversies in the time of Easter, the penitential discipline and validity of heretical baptism. To these may be added a secondary cause of her firmness under the persecutions, her benevolent care for suffering brethren, even in distant places, as celebrated by the Dionysus of Corinth and by Eusebius. From the time of Paul's epistle 58 AD, which he bestowed high praise to the early Roman converts to the episcopate of the victor of the close of the 2nd century and the unfavorable account of Hippopolitus of Pope Synoponius and the Pope Calastius, We have no express and direct information about the internal state of the Roman Church. Fairy tales. But incidentally, it is more frequently uh, mentioned than any other. Owing to its metropolitan position, it naturally grew in importance and influence with the spread of the Christian religion in the empire. Now remember the Catholic Church, the Church of Rome, began to persecute. They began, when they, once they had power, they began to persecute other Christians. Rome was a battlefield of orthodoxy and heresy and a result of all sects and parties. It attracted from every direction what was true and false in philosophy and religion, and nations rejoiced in the prospect of suffering for Christ in the center of the world. They call Rome the center of the world. Polycarp repaired hither to settle with Antietas. The Paschal controversy Justin Martyr presented there his defense of Christianity to the emperors and laid down for it his life. Arrhenius and Tertullian, Tertullian and Cyprian conceded that to the church a position of singular preeminence. Rome was weakly sought as a commanding position by heretics. Theosophic, jugglers, Simon Magus, Valentine, Marcion, Cero, and a host of others. No wonder then that the bishops of Rome at an early date were looked upon as metropolitan pastors, and spoke and acted accordingly with an air of authority, which reached far beyond their immediate diocese. Clement Rome, The first example of exercise of sort of papal authority is found towards the close of the first century in the letter of the Roman Bishop Clement in 102 to the bereaved and distracted church at Corinth. This epistle full of beautiful exhortations in harmony to love to humility was sent as the very address shows not in the bishop's own name which is not uh, mentioned at all but in that the Roman congregation, which speaks always in the first person plural, we, it was a service of love pro-offered by one church to another in a time of need. Churches looked upon each other as equals in authority. They helped each other. They worked as associations. Similar letters of instruction, warning, and comfort were written to the congregation of Natius, Polycar, Dionysius, and Corinth and Iranius. Nevertheless, it can hardly be denied that the document reveals a sense of certain superiority all over ordinary congregations. Certain pastors look, were looked upon as pillars of orthodoxy. In my <laughs> humility I say that people call me, pastors call me from all over they ask me questions because they know I have studied and they look upon me with honor in the life that I have given in study for the scriptures and they ask me and they have great what you might call confidence in my answers almost weekly I have this happen I am not better than they are I have studied hard my life I've written over a hundred books I've taught and over taught priests over 10,000 messages and I've spent a life studying is that right Marilyn yeah. <laughs> she never saw anybody study like me before that she said Certain people are held up with great esteem, whether they're worthy of it or not, because they have spent a lifetime of study. The Arian, Harris, Arius of Alexandria was looked upon by those that followed him as a great teacher, yet he was a heretic. The Roman church here, without being asked as far as it appears, gives advice with superior administrative wisdom to an important church in the East, dispatches messages to her, this is what we call association, working as an association. And exhort her in order and unity and tone of calm dignity, now a lot of these pastors tried to copy the Book of Rome, uh, the Book of Romans, the Book of Ephesians, the Galatians, whatever. They saw that and they encouraged other churches like Paul and Peter and James did. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Gospels, and John, and his epistles and his his Gospel. Calm dignity and authority as the organ of God and Holy Spirit. This all the more surprising if John, as is probable, was still living in Ephesus, which was nearer to Corinth than Rome. The hierarchical spirit arose from the domineering spirit of the Roman church rather than the Roman bishop or the presbyters who were simply the organs of the people. But a century later, the bishop of Rome was substituted for the church of Rome when Vicar, in his own name, excommunicated the church of Minor for a trifling difference of ritual. Here we have authority grabbed and grasped. We have abuse of power we have that in america today we can read it in the newspapers on the streets we can see have an abuse of power from this hierarchical assumption there was only one step toward the papal absolution of leo and hildebrand and this found its ultimate doctrinal climax in the vatican dogma of papal infallibility whatever the pope did in his Edicts was infallible, inspired of God. And there's where you have the problem is that the Pope is not an apostle of God. That's what they claim. And the popes are inspired by them. Ignatius, in his epistle to the Romans, even the Syriatic resension, applies to the congregation a number of high sounding titles. And describes her as presiding in the place of the regent of Romans, and as taking the lead in charity. This is meant a commendation of her practical benevolent, benevolence for which she was famous. There are many churches across America that are leaders, but they're not bigger than better than any others. Doesn't mean they're more doctrinally sound. But there are many churches that are leaders that that reach out in missions more than some others. But the little church of 100 people or 30 people that sends out a missionary and propagates the gospel is no less valid than one that sends out 30 missionaries. Diocese of Corinth, in his letter to Soter of Rome, testifies to this as saying, this practice has prevailed with you from very beginning to do good to all the brethren in every way, to send contributions to many churches in every city. The Roman church was no doubt more wealthy than any other, and the liberal use of her means must have greatly increased her influence. Beyond this, Ignatius cannot be quoted as a witness for papal claims. There weren't any. He says not a word of the primacy, nor does he even mention Clement or any other bishop of Rome. The church alone is addressed, the church, and that is the people. The people of the church is the one doing the work, not the pastor. The people do the work. The pastor doesn't go out and evangelize, the people go out and evangelize and bring people into the church. Preacher is to preach the word of God and to make people hungry for it. You're supposed to, Pastor, I'm supposed to give you an appetite for the Word of God, appetite for history, an appetite for truth, an appetite for doctrine. The church alone is addressed throughout. He still had a lively sense of difference between bishop and apostle. I do not command you, he writes to the Romans, as if I were Paul or Peter, they were apostles. There aren't any apostles this side of John. John was the oldest living one. Now, I could read on here Irenaeus, I could go on here many more Cyprian, Tuprian, Hippolytus, all of these all tell you the same thing. There were no popes yet. The popery did not begin until Leo It did not begin over here until the 500s. There was no pope until that time. The fallacy and the, what we might call, the fairy tales of the Roman church, all the apostles, all of the popes. If you study it, and a lot of times they do not, what we might disagree, some of the popes in history of the Catholic Church were absolute criminals. We had a few criminals that president, didn't we? We have criminals at president, criminals, crime families, we've had a few of them in American history. Now, that doesn't mean that the America is debunked and bad. It means that people in power take over. And that's exactly what happened in the Church of Rome and the Catholic Church. Bad people took over. And try to propagate what you believe. There is no lineage of popes back to Peter. not going to happen. That's a lie. That's a fairy tale. What you'll find out is an evolution of power. An evolution of manipulation of the masses by the church Catholic that began with Constantine. had to take a little drink of bubbly water. (laughs) It makes my throat clearer, better. I send this message out to you. Number 90, church history. These are the most church history classes that I've ever done in my life except in the seminary. And I don't think we got this far. I go back every now and then and just clarify a point. If you have questions or something, you can write and I'll try to answer them the best I can. Father, I send this message out that you might honor and glorify your son, his church, that he founded in his ministry while he was on this earth. When you said that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church, you meant it, even though the gates of hell have much tried why I'm proud to be a Baptist is because that's what you found in this world, the Baptist churches. Father, please forgive me where I fail you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.